It's Parshish Bamidbar, and there's a, a Pusik in this week's Parsha, which definitely sounds like something that could teach us something about Chinach. So we start by so in the Sefer Tzitzim and Fruchim, he brings a, a word in the Rikas Aboysim, he says, He brings a Yalkut, a very famous Yalkut that all the Darshunim uh, quote. It says, B'shush HaKibli Yisrael HaToyre, Neskani Yimus V'Oylem Bahem. When Eden were being Makabal HaToyre, the Yimus V'Oylem were jealous. Maru Yaidu Deskar Yosef, the Irish made them quiet. They wanted to know why the why the Yidin getting better treatment, why they're getting the Torah, why was this? So Hashem said, Bring me the Saifa Yichas. You'll bring me the Yichas, you'll show me who you come from and, and your background, I guess, and, and, and look what they're bringing me, and that's why they're getting the Torah. So he explains, what, what does the Yichas have to do with Kabusa Torah? This is something very interesting. He said, In the in, in secular books, right, on the Chachma Imus Oilam, they write all their Chachmas. Every book is trying to disprove the earlier books. And as generations go on, anyone who's writing something or coming up with something is always trying to explain or prove why the earlier uh, generations and the earlier writers and authors um, didn't, didn't grasp this and where they all made mistakes. And now he's coming up with, with something clearer. And in a sense, it's true. Because with all the new inventions and all the new understandings and all the new technology and discoveries, you know, the, the later authors are basically disproving a lot of the earlier theories and methods and, 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 and ideas and showing how they got it right. So they're all about disproving the earlier generations, as opposed to Sifra Koidish, Machabim, Lahavlu, those that are writing Svurim, Batoira, and Mitzvahs, they're all working to understand the earlier. They're all working to understand what, is, what, is, what was Chazal saying, what, what is the Rishonim saying, what are the Dachronim saying, what did he mean, what didn't he mean, and, and being Mephalpo to try to get it even clearer and even clearer, understanding what a Pashtas that you know, we're so far away from them that we could just try to grasp their Avuna. And, and even when it comes to a point where we don't understand something they write, right, then, so what do you write? Well, you say, you can't understand something that a Rishon wrote. You don't write that he's wrong. You don't disprove him. You write, I wasn't there to understand what he's saying. But really, it's, it's obvious to us that we're just building on, 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 on what they had, and we're just trying to understand what they had and continue what, what they're giving us. She says that that's the way Torah works. Torah works with the Yichas. Torah works with the, with the Shalshelis, each generation, one to the next. So when Yidin want a Torah, and they bring a cipher Yichas, and they show, look, this is my father, and my grandfather, my great-grandfather, all the way back, this is where I'm coming from. That's the way to get Torah. So that's why Kabbalah Torah is to the Yichas. They must avoid them. They don't show Yichas. They're smarter, and they're better, and that's why the Torah doesn't have a, a, a Hamshech with them. So what I think is very important you know, to understand when it comes to Chinech Habuna is that we're not, we're not teaching children. Very often people look at, at, at parenting or education like trying to teach a child something. I'm going to teach him something. You could teach a child something that you don't know. You could teach a child something that, that you were never able to do. You could send him to a school or to a university or wherever it is. Or you could even sometimes even teach him to do something that you yourself can't do. Interestingly. The people that could actually train someone to do something that they're not able to do because the trainer is older and, and doesn't have the koyach or the ability, but he understands how it's done. And you can train someone who's younger, more energetic to get it done. That's when you're teaching a chachma that just has to be understood. But when it comes to chinach, when it comes to toira, when it comes to mesoira, that's not what it's about. It's not about teaching a child, this is the way it's supposed to be done. If you don't do it yourself, not only is it wrong in chinach, it's not going to work. Chinach and Yiddishkeit is when it's being given over and practiced, and the child sees it, and he's continuing it. It's all about continuation. That's what Masoira is about. Giving it over. We say it in Pekovus, and the whole Masoira from one generation to the next. So when it comes to anything about Chinuch, it's never about um, what am I supposed to teach him, or, or how do I get him to understand, as much as uh, what, what can I do to do it myself, first of all, and, and, and show by example. And then, obviously, coming up with ideas how it's going to make it easier for a child to continue. But very much about Chinech Habunim is what we do ourselves. And especially now that we're holding the Fukubos it's important to remember that Kabbalah is about us and about 
showing what has to be done, and only then also coming up with ideas how to make it easier for a child to do it right as well. So let me read a, a letter that a, a parent wrote. Hello, um, Rabbi Gruen, my husband, and me. Always listen to your lectures on Torah anytime. Thank you so much for bringing so much clarity into my life. Okay, you're very welcome. We need advice on how to handle my child's controlling nature. It's making things very hard for us and for him as well. Just a few easy examples for you to understand what I mean. If I'm the one waking him, then I'll throw a huge tantrum and close all the lights. But if he'll wake early, he might even surprise me and dress himself. If a sibling has something that he doesn't have, he'll aggressively grab it for, for himself. But if one of the kids will ask him for something and asked it, and asked it nice enough, he will be the boy and share even things that might be hard for him. If one of the kids just won't notice him entering the house after school, he will ignore him or her with the excuse that they, they're the one that didn't tell me hello, so I don't answer. He has a beautiful nature, but only if he's in the leading position, and I want to bring out his potential. How do we go about it? I know he's still young, but this can be a problem in adulthood. Thank you so much. Okay, so the, the, the mother is calling it a controlling nature, but I, I understand the gist of it, and I'm sure a lot of um, people listening to this understand. There are children that, you know, they have uh, challenging behaviors, let's call it, and, you know, if things go their way, and I just want to, I just want to emphasize one point over here, when things go their way, they could be the best. They could be the best. And they'll be giving, and understanding, and dress themselves, and be sharing. And if things don't go their way, then they get stuck and it goes all the other way. Now, I, I spoke about this many times, and I'm sure people who hear me enough probably know that I'm going to be referring to the UV child, as I call it. And I have a class in Torah time that I refer to many times, um, titled The Fragile Child. Fragile child is an idea that I, I wrote a book about it, and I have a lot of classes about this, understanding sensitive children. But before I go on, let me mention that all children are sensitive. All children are hypersensitive, relatively hypersensitive, compared to adults. Which, which basically means that all children are already so much more emotional and so much, more, so much less logical than an adult. So any, any parent who's noticing in a child's behavior, uh, what I'll call an irrational, illogical behavior, or unreasonable behavior, very often it's an emotional behavior. In other words, it has to do with how the child's feeling. He's behaving the way he's feeling. Does it make sense? Is it nice? Um, does, it, does, it, is, does, it, uh, does it add up? No, but, but it's emotional. Aside from that, based on understanding personalities of some children and adults as well, are hypersensitive by nature, and that sensitivity just adds so much to the intensity of how they feel. So when you have an emotional child, a sensitive child, you have a double hypersensitivity that doesn't respond well to logic, it doesn't respond well to um, um, rational thinking. So a lot of the things you want to teach someone, and, and like, why doesn't he get it, and when will he understand, and it doesn't make any sense, I don't get it, it just doesn't go into his head. Well, yeah, that's what happens when emotions are stronger than logic. So there's, there's a lot to talk about this, and, and very many ideas and very many ways to apply it, but let's try to be brief and, and come up with like some small kind of some small kind of uh, formula, let's call it. Okay, because going to the nitty-gritty of these small examples, of, yeah, I don't think that, that's what uh, will be a benefit for, for anyone. So let me try to come up with, with five points that I think are important. And, and I don't mean Dafka for all UV children. There's maybe more that I will talk about for other children. But, but just based on what, what's being described over here, let's, let's try to come up with, with, with five points that I think could be very uh, helpful. And maybe soon I'll, I'll, I'll tell you why I would call this maybe a corona, a corona um, method, right? Uh, a corona formula. So let's start with the first one. The first one is, we always start with the Asai Toiv and the Yimin Mekarevas. The first one is to praise the good. Praise the good. This child is doing a lot of good things. A lot of good things. He's getting dressed himself sometimes. He's being nice to his siblings. He's sharing. He's doing a lot of good things. And, and he has a lot to offer. Sometimes, sometimes the good, in this case, is just infrequently maybe, or not consistent enough, but the good is actually very good. Sometimes the good is not even so good. 
Sometimes a child gets dressed himself, but he does it, it takes him so long and he does it very sloppy, and it's not what you want. And very often people will resist praising the good and making a big deal about it because this is not what I want. Or even if it is what you want, like in this case, but it's not happening when I want it to happen. I want it to happen all the time. I want it to happen when I wake him. I want it to happen uh, more often, and it's not happening. Praise the good. Don't make the mistake that people make, and I, I mention this very often the mistake of if I praise the good, he's going to think this is already good. He won't. Children know what's good, children know, know, know what you appreciate, and the more you praise it, and the more they get um, for, for doing the right thing, the more they want to do more. So that's just a, an idea that's usually, that's usually very helpful um, to, keep on, to keep on praising the good. You want to praise the good and make a big deal about it. You also want to generalize the good. You don't want to say, wow, um, this time you got dressed so nicely. Wow, you're a boy that, gets, that dresses so nicely. You're a boy that's so nice to other people. Not, oh, you shared that thing, that was very nice of you. It's also nice. But you want to praise the child. So aside from something specific, you want to praise the child. Now, it's tricky, because sometimes these children don't, don't like taking compliments, or they don't believe in it, or they, for whatever reason, which is a discussion of its own. And that's when you do want to get a little more technical and say, that was very nice. That, that thing that you did, the behavior, the, you know, the, the, the act of kindness, or whatever it was. Because it's just easier for a child to believe that you mean it genuinely, and to accept, because it's, it's simpler. But in general, you do want to generalize the good, and, and make, without the negative implications, not like, you know, you could be so good, so why sometimes don't do that? Don't kill the good by, by saying that it's not all the time or by going on to the but I would really want you to do it more often. Or, don't. When you talk about the good, talk only about the good and generalize the good and, and, and you want to you do as much as you could. But you want to avoid that, that I'm anyway no good feeling that children have sometimes. I'm anyway no good. You anyway tell me I'm no good. You, you want to make the child feel he is good. Now it's tricky because with a child who's hypersensitive there's very often that black and white thinking that splitting perception which makes a child think in terms of all and none. So it's either I'm very good and you love me very much and you appreciate everything I do or nothing is good and I'm the worst and you hate me. Okay? So what happens is sometimes you'll give a child six compliments and three words of criticism and in his mind, you hate me. You never compliment me. Now, is that true? No. Even if you, but you have to know that that ratio should be something like nine to one if you want a child to believe in it. So if you don't want him to feel like I'm anyway no good and I'm never good, you definitely want to emphasize the good and praise the good. So that's, that's what we're going to call uh, number one. You praise the good. That's the first part of this uh, formula with such a child. Number two is to ignore the bad. Okay? There are things that could be ignored. Now, ignoring means two things. First of all, there are things that could be overlooked totally. He closed the light. Now, I, I know. I, I don't want to make believe I don't understand. It's not gishmak and it's very, it's very um, stressful and frustrating when a child shuts the lights at home. But, you know, after, show, after showing that I understand what that means and, and I wouldn't want my child to do it, let, let's, let's just say this. It's okay. So he shut the lights. So he opened the windows. You know, sometimes you just have to know how to overlook. And overlook, I mean, it's not just about you're not reacting as much as, so, so what? And very many times we get stuck about, but he did this, but he did that, and, and it's wrong of him. But so many things could be overlooked, and then, and then what, the, the emphasizing the good and, and overlooking some of the bad just makes it like, so much more appealing and so much more gishmak, and he, doesn't real, and he doesn't even feel like there's so many bad things he did this day. Now, even if he did do something that can be overlooked, and it is very disturbing, the, 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 the least reinforcing reaction is what they call it. The least reinforce. Sometimes you react in a way that reinforces what the child's doing. Either because you're getting upset and you're getting frustrated, and now you're now you have to do something because of it. So you're showing him that it worked. Okay. And part of what he's doing is a, is a certain manipulation subconsciously. He's not so smart, but I mean he's young, but he's trying to get something for it. So the more you give him what he's looking for, and the more he sees that it's working, the more he's going to do it. So the least reinforcing reaction is to stay very calm and give it the least attention you could. So there are things that a child can sometimes do something stupid, and you can make believe you didn't even see. Okay, that's a better example. Uh, you, can, you can make believe you didn't even notice, or you didn't even hear, and you just walk away, and, and then it, it didn't even get any attention. 
Then there are the things that you do notice, and they are disturbing, but you don't have to react. And like this, you're showing him that he's not getting anything for it. And even if you do react, and it's important to react, you can do it in a very calm and relaxed manner, very collected. And he's not, he's not controlling you. You, you, you're, staying, you're sticking to your thing and you're not getting overtaken by what he just did and, and that's another way of ignoring the bad you're ignoring it you're not giving it so much attention you're not letting it accomplish what he would have wanted it to accomplish and it's important that he sees that it's not controlling you or your moods it's not getting you to do something an action it's not getting you to, to, to behave differently or do something differently and it's not even getting you to, to, to look different or to feel different and that's, that's very important by giving in and feeding them his behavior, you're definitely making things worse and giving it the, the, the attention that, that it shouldn't be given. And, and I, I must have mentioned this, this idea of the least reinforcing reaction is something they, they talk about by training animals, right? An animal, you're training animals to do a show, an animal makes a mistake, instead of screaming or hitting the animal, when the trainer just, just does nothing, the animal won't do it again because, because nothing happened. As opposed to when you hit him or even scream, sometimes he might make the mistake that that's what he wanted to accomplish or not, and that's something that can sometimes... Um, that would be helpful. Okay, number three in this formula is preempt the difficulties. There are things that you know in advance could happen. There are things that you've seen happen in the past. Okay, don't wait for them to happen. By the time something's happening, and a child's already feeling challenged or emotionally worked up or whatever it is, it's very hard to get them to stop. But if you tell them in advance, I like so much, and in a positive way, I like so much when you come home and you greet everyone. It's such a nice thing to do. If you do it, I have a candy for you. So the fact that you're preempting it, first of all, makes it easier for him because he's not feeling the challenge right now. And the fact that you're preempting it when he's not yet misbehaving gives you the opportunity to be able to give a reward. There's nothing wrong with rewarding. In other words, if somebody comes home and he's screaming at his siblings, he says, I want you to be nice, I'm going to give you a candy. That's silly. He's doing something bad and you're rewarding him. But if you tell him in advance and it wasn't yet relevant and, and he's going to do something nice, that's wonderful. If you tell him by night that if he gets up on his own or if he gets dressed pretty quickly, whatever it is, you'll have a prize for him, that's wonderful. It's good to give that incentive. But you can't give that incentive when a child tantruming and now you're buying him off and showing him that the tantrum accomplished the reward. So, so it just helps you to talk about something when it's not yet relevant, it's easier for him to hear it and accept it, and look forward, and then show him a lot of appreciation, and sometimes give him that, that kind of incentive. Okay, another uh, fourth point of this formula, and again, I, this, this is not an old formula of mine, this is just something that based on the situations described, I, I came up with these points that I think could be helpful for this and for many children. The fourth point would be to consequence the intolerable. It's very important to know what is and what is not intolerable. The point of consequences is not to be able to control children and make sure they do everything the way you want. It's to pick up on what is good and what's not good. What can I let happen and what could I let happen? I could let them shut the lights and I won't react and I'll just tell them I'm unhappy about it. Or, and I could, I could not let them break the window. So that's very clear. Now when, you, when, when you're talking about the intolerable, especially when you know it in advance and you've seen this in the past, you could give a specific and very clear warning that if this specific thing, happen, thing happens, then this specific thing will happen, the consequence. So both the thing that he's doing and the consequence are very clear and spelled out. And you talk about it in a time, again, like I said, when he's not emotionally challenged, he'll be able to hear it and know it, and you do it. Because if you give a warning and you don't do it, then you just told him that it's a joke. So it's very important. So the consequence should only be something that you're really ready to do. Not like the mother who says, if you do that, I'm not taking you along with us in Chalamoid, and obviously you're not ready to do that. So it's very important. Um, a lot of it should be cause and effect. If this happens, in other words, very technical. If this happens, then that's going to have to happen. If you break the window, I'm going to have to take the money that you put away from Hanukkah, from Babi, and, and call someone to fix it. The more, the more related the cause and effect is, the easier it is for them to understand, and, 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 and the simpler it goes over. Also, Try to make sure that the consequence is something you could carry out. In other words, if you tell a child, if you break the window, you're going to have to stay in your room. Um, yeah, what if I don't? Well, if you don't stay in your room, then you're going to have to give me money. And if I don't, well, if you don't give me the money, in other words, you're chasing him from one thing to the next. As opposed to, 
I have money of yours put away, so if you break the window, I'm going to use that money. Or if you don't talk to the I'm not going to be able to talk to you because it's very hard. And I, I would hate ignoring you, but I'm not going to be able to communicate with you for a half hour. It's about me and something I could do, so I know that I could do it, and it's easy for me to carry out. So that's just that's just a guide, an outline of, of when it works and why it works and things like that. And the fifth point, which is maybe the most important, fifth point of this formula is to understand the nature of a child. Okay, I mean, you call it a controlling nature of his, and, and uh, whatever whatever it may be, but it's okay for a child to be a natural leader. It's okay for a child to feel comfortable when he's getting a certain amount of attention. Now, does it mean that we always have to give him attention and that he's justified when he misbehaves for not having that attention? No. But it's something about not trying to change him. It's very important. He should not be a natural leader at the expense of other children. He should not be, doing, he should not be, be getting away with hurting other children. But you have to understand the child. Don't try to change him. Any unique challenge that there is to a, to a specific child, based on who he is and based on his personality and his nature, don't try to change it by, by, by changing him. You can try to change it by working along with him. I was doing a training, and I do for people who try to help other people, training others to help other people. And one of, one of the things that I, I, I always I mention very clearly is that when somebody comes to you for help, I'm talking now about something personal, interpersonal as well, but especially something personal. Don't think that the way to help this person in this personal challenge is by changing him. In other words, if his personal challenge is based on who he is, then try to work along with that and either try to give him some tools or better understanding or, or even sometimes be realistic and know how much of it could and can't be changed. But don't try to say, you know what, let's, I see you're a very tense person. Let's, let's try to get you to be a calm person. What does that mean? Sometimes even just the way you say it just, just doesn't make sense. And, and after a short amount of time, it's like, oh, it's not working. So it, it's very important to understand that when somebody has natural challenges, you work along with them instead of trying to like, just, just throw them all out and, and change the whole mechanics. It doesn't work, especially with children. Work along, and that's something that can make him... So, so when you see a child that has certain challenges that are natural for him, you can work along, you give him incentives, you can give him compliments, you can do whatever you could, but, but stop trying to change him. Stop trying to compare him and never compare him openly and tell him, why can't you be like that one? Recently I was talking to a parent of twins, and it's such, it's such a challenge with twin children, even with others, but they're different, you can't do anything about it. And, and telling a child, why can't you be like him, or look, only you, you're the only one that, and you always, it's a, it's a terrible thing. It's a terrible thing, and it doesn't help, and, and it hurts, especially when somebody's sensitive, and he feels like he's being compared and, and, and understood, and, and all that. So that's definitely something to think about. So why do I call this formula? I'll, do it, I'll say it quickly again, right? The, the, the praising the good, ignoring the bad, preempting the difficulties, consequencing the intolerable, and understanding the nature of the child. Why do I call that a corona formula? So I'll tell you, we were discussing things about all the different lessons we can learn from corona, and something that came to mind when talking about chinach, right, is the three parts of corona that we saw uh, people practicing, let's call it, right? The, 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 the masks, the gloves, and the quarantine. So just, just in short, I'm just trying to be cute, nothing, uh, nothing more than that. The, the masks maybe teaches us something about what not to say. What not to say, how not to hurt a child, and not to say something that he won't be able to handle, and, and, and not to react, and you, you have to know how to keep your mouth shut. The gloves, that's the zad and the henchkis, you know, the silk gloves that sometimes hypersensitive children need. All the good feeling and all the praise and all the, all the understanding of their nature and all that, but that's, the, that's the silk gloves that all children could use, but specifically sensitive children. And the quarantine is about staying put where you are. Don't let yourself be controlled. Don't, don't let yourself be taken out of your, out of, out, away from your position as a parent. Don't let a child tell you what, what has to be done. Or, or just take control of your mood and things like that. So that's also very, just, um, you know, don't, don't lose your balance. The fact that you're trying to deal with a, a sensitive child doesn't mean that you have to now be overtaken and change your whole parenting and start giving in to him and catering to him and telling him how right he is and, and, and start apologizing and doing everything the way he wants. It doesn't work like that. 
You stay put where you are, and from where you are, you're careful about what not to say and what yes to do, and that balance of knowing how to treat a child's sensitivities without being overtaken by it, that's something that works even for very difficult situations. And sometimes, you know, it has to be applied, and, and, and some people need help applying it, which is fine, but, but that's the main idea. So in this case, I think we covered um, the examples of the, the dressing and the tantrums, the tantrums, the thing about, you know, don't get overtaken by it and don't react to it and don't let it accomplish things. And, and, and preempting the being nice to others and all that. So I think that's um, something that I hope will be helpful. Now the last line over there of, I know he's still young, but this, is, this can be a problem in adulthood. That's something I hear from people very, very often. Now my child's young, my bucket, I can handle him, but what do I do later? He's going to get married and all that. So you know, there's something about it I do understand, that sometimes the personality of a child will never change, and people see it as, as a, a reason for concern. But chinuch is, is not about short-term results. Specifically, not about short-term results. Chinuch doesn't mean I'm going to stop my kid from doing that. I'm going to change him. That's not what chinuch is about. A child is young, and 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 the fundamentals and basics of of, of chinuch is, is patience and perseverance. You have to be patient. You have to let things happen. You have to let a child grow up, and you have to persevere and you have to stick to your thing. Even if it didn't accomplish right away, and you have to always be focused on the goal and make sure you're doing something that could bring you to the goal and not just not just keep on making the same mistake again and again. It's very important. So patience and perseverance and remembering the goal and, and not being anxious about the fact that something did, didn't happen yet, that's what Chinuch is about. So um, sometimes people get too stuck on what's going to be later, what's going to be later, I have to change it already, I, I can't handle it, it's going to last. It might not last, it could be dealt with, and just being calm and patient and working along by understanding a child's age and stage and nature altogether definitely makes things easier. I will also mention, simply because I was dealing with um, something that, that this reminded me of, even though I don't see it in this question at all, make sure this does not become a commercial bias issue. I spoke about this many times. Sometimes when a child needs a specific formula or a specific mahalach, the fact that two parents aren't on the same team and they keep on challenging each other and all that, it just makes things, it just makes things messy. Because you don't want a child to know that I can't control Tati, he doesn't get overtaken by my tantrums, but mommy does. Right? Or when mommy says something, it's okay, but then I could get Tati... If the, when, when, when parents deal with children, especially the children that need a specific approach, and both parents are on the same page about the approach, that, that's great. And if not, then deal with it. Talk to your spouse, make sure you understand each other, talk to a third party, talk to someone, but make sure that you're doing this in a unified way, because if you don't agree, you know, if you don't um, agree with each other, then very often that's not going to help you. And so much about all this is how parents connect with children and believe in children and, and give them all the good words. You can't imagine what it does for, for, for the children, what, what a parent, what a parent's connection and a parent's um, perspective and a parent's uh, what's the word, the, the way the way the way a parent thinks highly of a child and believes in a child, what, what that does for children, that connection and all that. So that's more than anything else, more than the lesson and more than the consequence, and more than anything else is, is how you treat a child, and how you look at him, and how you believe in him, and how you feel about him. Recently, I was dealing with a very um, 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 sad situation where a, a teacher or a malamed, whatever, was was talking to a child about, you know, I'm, I'm going to help you and I'm going to do this for you and you shouldn't tell your parents and don't, don't tell them this and the, a child doesn't have to tell parents. Now, I know there are situations where for whatever reason that might be necessary, but in this case, that person made a lot of damage. This was a child who was connected to his parents, a child who felt good about his parents, a child who knew his parents believed in him, he opened up to them, he was able to admit the things he did wrong to them, he was able to, to hear from them, like very much a very healthy relationship he was having with his parents and when this person started waking him up that you don't have to be so connected to them that's when he started being more chutzpah and accepting less and telling his parents I don't have to tell you everything a child doesn't have to tell everything to parents it's terrible and I'm just mentioning it but, but for parents to know that your connection with a child and how much he thinks you believe in him and how open you are and how connecting and how accepting and all that that, that really does a lot for children so you know, that I think 
And that's why I started the first part, to praise the good and make sure your child knows you believe in him and, and, and that when something's difficult, you understand it and you'll talk about it in a time when it's, when it's okay to talk about it and you deal with it very, very nicely. That will do a lot. And we have the sinachas from each and every one of our children.